the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. This is the Northern Alliance Radio Network, the longest-running conservative talk show in the Twin Cities. It's great to be back in Minnesota today. Political analysis of the good, the bad, and the outright crazy. Now, here's your headline act, Mitch Bird. Welcome back, Twin Cities and World. It's the wind beneath the right wing, the shining spot of red in the sea of dingy, dismal, moldy, and all too often toxically bigoted institutional blue. It's the Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 12A, The Patriot. My name, Mitch Berg, uh, the headliner edition of the Northern Alliance Radio Network, along with my friends and colleagues, Jack Tomzak, the new guy, coming up from 3 to 5 here on AM 12A, The Patriot. Brad Carlson tomorrow from 1 to 3 here on AM 12A, The Patriot. And, of course, charter member of the Northern Alliance, King Banyan, every Saturday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. on our sister station, AM 1440, The Businessman. Together, the Northern Alliance radio network dominating Twin Cities media for, uh, for 20 years, almost 20 years now. We're heading actually towards the last half of year 19 here and uh, heading towards the 20th anniversary here. We still as always, dominate all Twin Cities media, even though they keep us down to a grand total of eight hours a week just to try to make it fair. And it still doesn't work. So this past week that, <laughs> this past week in the news has been dominated by our national spasm, actually the entire spasm. The entire Western world is going over, over the, the war in Israel, over the bloody invasion of Israel by Hamas and Israel's response and the, let's just say, wildly divergent views on this, uh, on the various sides of this war, sides, uh, at least views to, to speaking to me as someone who follows the history of the region and has as long as he can remember, uh, are completely, completely inexplicable to me. And Looking at the ways that these these issues tie into issues, not only here in Minnesota, but across all of Western civilization that have nothing to do necessarily all by themselves with the war between Israel and Hamas and, and yet are the prime motivators, not only for what's going on there, but for all of the social decay that we have here in the Twin Cities. I The, the issues tied themselves together in a big way this past week, by the way. As the crowd that celebrated the riots in Minneapolis, the riots in Portland, Oregon, referring to them as mostly peaceful and entirely justified, uh, the people who, uh, who, who have been applauding decades of attacks on Israel by terrorists from all corners, from the north, from the east, from the southwest, uh, the, the, the rally this past week on Tuesday at the Capitol Mall where Jews and their allies from around the country rallied on the Capitol Mall against Hamas and to support Israel. Just you watch. Notice how many of them uh, turned around and attempted to demonize Israel reflectively and instinctively. 
don't think that that's an accident here. We've we've seen a bit of that. It, it ties in with an observation that I've been making about the Minnesota left for longer than I've been on the air on this station. And that is, uh, there is nothing, and this is, by the way, Berg's eighth law. There, no, sorry, 11th law. There is nothing the left hates more than one of, quote, their, end quote, people, whether they be <clears throat> black or brown, as they charmingly refer to humans of different ethnicities, or, or women, or, or gays, or, or Muslims. There's nothing they hate more than any of them coloring outside the lines that the left has laid down for them. Nothing. And there's, there's a reason for this. Uh, one of the problems with, one of the many problems, one of the raft of problems big left going back to the dawn of socialism has had is that they don't treat people as individuals. And in fact, worse than most non-Western civilizations, I mean, non-Western civilization spawned by Judeo-Christianity was the first civilization in history to systematically give the individual not only basic dignity and value, but rights, the same basic rights that kings had in other countries. They're, they're, all, all of the things that are in the Bill of Rights had been heretofore things that were reserved for the nobility, for monarchs, for the aristocracy. A radical notion that, quite frankly, the, the world left finds old-fashioned. Hey, wait, Mitch! They, they, they're, they're all for individual. No, they're not for individual rights. They are, in fact, entirely all about the imperatives of the group. I'm going to do what English majors do for a moment here. I'm going to take you back and read a little bit of boring literature. Uh, as a fellow that uh, has been getting more attention lately than he's had in probably 60 years, a fellow named Franz Fanon. He's a, he's a um, Mauritanian-born French psychiatrist and intellectual who, frankly, had a fairly tragic story. He grew up in, uh, not Mauritania, Mauritius, a French colony from uh, just off the African coast. Uh, moved to actually moved to France when he served in the French Army of Liberation in uh, 1944. He was actually wounded fighting for the good guys. Uh, he was actually something of a war hero in his way when he was still 19 years old. And then when he stayed in France after the war and, and started his studies and began working on his career as a psychiatrist, he f ran into what, quite frankly, uh, an incredibly racist French society. Uh, France at that time, metropolitan France, as they call it, the actual France France, as opposed to all their colonies around the world, was an incredibly racist place. Hey, wait, I thought America was uniquely racist in the history of the entire world. No, <laughs> go figure. No, no, it's not. And in fact, if you go to many of the uh, European colonies, you saw racism in, it, in its ugliest form. Not just the, the massacres that uh, various colonial powers like, say, the, Brit the Brits carried out in Indian South Africa, but and, and the massacres that the French carried out in, in Algeria in the 1950s and early 1960s. But in fact, uh, the, the, worst, the worst of them all, by the way, the Belgians, who pound for pound were every bit as bad in terms of mass murder as the Germans and the Soviets. Little known fact of history, kind of like Belgium itself, little known in, in so many ways. They batted way, way, way above their weight. Anyway, colonialism in its real form was frequently a really ugly thing, even in relatively small L liberal societies like, like, like British colonization. I say relatively 
uh, small L liberal. Uh, there were there were all sorts of problems with that, and we don't need to go through a whole lot of history. Fanon, uh, after seeing the way he was treated in France, became quite the anti-colonial zealot. And as he headed towards the end of his life, it tragically cut short at age thirty-six by leukemia. He was openly advocating for the the, the, the the time for political resolution to colonialism was over. It was time to get violent. And in fact, he, he passed around the idea that every European killed is a, is, a, is a double victory. You're killing a white person and you're killing a, a colonialist. Because, by the way, all Europeans, whether they'd ever set foot outside the country or not, uh, were, were colonials. In fact, all Europeans, according to Fanon, were uh, colonialist, and uh, this is where you start to see that the whole notion of systemic racism that you can never, ever, 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 ever extirpate starting to, to slip into society. And, and while Fanon died 62 years ago, France being a country full of, well, the French jumped onto this like it was the last bag of Cheetos at a Grateful Dead concert. Now, not every Frenchman or French woman, French citizen jumped onto this, but the most particularly egregiously awful class of intellectuals in in the history of the Western world, the French intellectuals of the 1960s, led by the likes of Michel Foucault and and Jean Paul Sartre, uh, latched onto this, and in fact, in 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 particular, Sartre, Jean Paul Sartre, the, the the leader of existentialism, which. If you're not smoking a, a, a little thin little cigarette and drinking coffee and wearing a black sweater and a beret, a beret, you probably have no need to know about it. But if you do, you know what existentialism is all about. It's basically a, a philosophical repudiation of everything Judeo-Christianity stands for. It's it's a it's a structure for atheism. It's a structure that that tries to support the notions of of atheism, which it's that's not especially relevant to the point I'm getting at here, which is, in fact, that this was the the birth of the notion of anti-colonialism and, and, and its American 21st century form, quote, anti-racism, end quote, that set up the formulation that is driving so much of the world media and intellectual classes narratives response to not only what's going on in uh, the Middle East right now, what's going on in Gaza between Israel and Hamas, but what went on in Minneapolis three years ago and what went on in St. Louis 10, 12, whatever it was, 2008 years ago, 2015, the, the, the Michael Brown incident, the whole idea that whiteness is opposed to brown and blackness and in its most extreme form, and, and by the way, there's no way around that, unless you are a particular obsequious ally, Robin DeAngelo, and that the only way, and really the only resolution to this, if you follow it back to its source in the in the world of of uh, of, of Jean Paul Sartre, is violent revolution by the black and brown against the white. Now, there's a term for this. No, no, not anti-colonialism. Uh, the term for this, really, if you think about it hard enough, is racism. It is, in fact, completely racist. Uh, it's just the kind of racism that French intellectuals 60 years ago and American pseudo-intellectuals today, uh, academics in America today, largely pseudo-intellectual, and, and their, their followers who march around and block our freeways are are, are even more pseudo-intellectuals. And, and when you get right down to it, by the way, it's a recipe not for decolonization and for freedom and for 
quote, progressive, end quote, ideals, but in fact for well, what's the term that, that you use for a government that is that is a complete that, that completely co-ops all of the the institutions of society towards a centralized authoritarian autocratic uh, societal goal and oh by the way while it's at it focuses all of society's efforts not on improving uh, the citizens but in fact on fighting against some enemy real or imagined let's see uh, it rhymes with with mashism what what could it be we'll see exactly what that yes it's fascism it is uh, warm, not, not even warm and fuzzy. This is this is a particularly naked, ugly form of fascism, which, by the way, if you notice that I just discussed, uh, described the government of Hamas. Wow, you are able to be helped and reached. So more on that when we come back. Six five one two eight nine four four eight eight is the number to call under normal circumstances. However, this is a pre-recorded show. What? Not in the studio. We'll talk about that later as well. Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. AM 1280, The Patriot, the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Hey, how would you like to win a trip for you and a guest to the beautiful city of Honolulu, Hawaii? Sounds better than going to Newark, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And while you're in Hawaii, you get to uh, go see nationally known comedian Jeff Allen, author of Are We There Yet? Which is, by the way, available now wherever books are sold. You can get into it right now today at am12athepatriot.com, which is, by the way, the place to go for everything that is good in life. Mitch Berg here for the next hour and 45 minutes here. Jack Tom's up coming up after that here. We're talking talking about the, the intellectual underpinnings of the mess that is currently going, not only in Israel and Gaza, but really in the streets of America's cities and especially, especially in the halls of America's uh, once uh, envious uh, schools of higher education, not just higher education, really all education. I mean, as we've been discussing on this show for quite some time, the uh, kindergarten through 12th grade education has been completely co-opted by uh, by institutional big left. And it shows and it ties in with that stuff I was jabbering about in the first segment about France Fanon and Jean-Paul Sartre uh, and all the other uh, obnoxious French philosophers of the past century uh, in, in this. I, when I say that this this philosophy and the deriving philosophy of all, quote, anti-colonialism and anti-racism, end quote, uh, does not allow for the individual. It is entirely about group dynamics. I, I bring you this story that came out in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, this past week. Uh, Alpha News covered this. A St. Louis Park school board member, by the way, a woman who describes herself as <clears throat> queer, end quote. She's a, a white, visibly upper middle class woman visibly uh, the benefactor of a, well, at least self-styled elite education, an education that was marketed to her at one point as elite. Uh, St. Paul School, uh, St. Louis Park School Board member criticized who? Guess who? Criticized Muslim parents for a lack of, quote, solidarity after they raised concerns about materials uh, that are, quote, 
sexualized and not age-appropriate being presented to their children. Now, the name of the school board member doesn't matter so much. The, The whole point is this illustrates if you are a member of any minority, uh, wh- by the way, whether it's an ethnic minority, an intellectual minority, a religious minority, a, a population, a demographic minority, any minority that has plighted its troth with the left, that has, uh, by the way, I'm going full bore English major today, aren't I? I'll, I'll, I'll tame it down in a minute here. Any minority that has gotten into bed, there we go, that's a nice, easy metaphor, that's gotten into bed with big left, it, it, this is a warning to you. They don't care about you as an individual. They don't care about your family. If you're if you're a black American who's working multiple side hustles, they don't care that inflation is destroying you. If you are an Asian American who is working uh, who is working hard to keep a business going and get your kids into a good school, they don't care that affirmative action is is foreclosing your children's opportunities. If you are a Muslim parent who 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 is part of a socially extremely conservative faith at its best, they don't care that you don't want your children raised with values that completely spit on you and your faith. Oh, by the way, that goes triple for all you Christians out there. If you're a Christian leftist and you take your faith seriously, and by the way, that's a small Venn diagram, but it exists, they don't care. It's all about, quote, solidarity, and quote, and when they say solidarity, they mean with big left's goals, which are getting and holding power. And if you are any of these people other than the people who are at the top, the people who in communist systems are the one with the dachas, in, in, uh, in, in any dictatorship, the ones with the yachts and the private homes, as opposed to the hoi polloi in the streets, that, it's not power for you they're looking for. That's the thing about intersectionalism, which, by the way, is the philosophy that fell out from everything we talked about in the first segment, the existentialist and, 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 and Franz Fanon. Intersectionalism, the idea that there's this, you, you get demerits, or I should say extra merit for every intersectional label you have. Women get one merit. Lesbians get two, uh, uh, get two points. Uh, black, lesbian, transgenders get four points. That, by the way, that's that's pretty much the top of the intersectional uh, lottery right there. Uh, anyway, the, the thing about intersectionalism is while virtue attaches to people, the farther they go out of the intersectional tree, I guess the, the ultimate would be what? The transgender, Afro-Muslim, handicapped lesbian. Anyway, uh, the actual authority is supposed to remain with the people at the top of the heap, which, by the way, in this particular school board meeting, in St. Louis Park was a white, <clears throat> queer, at her word, not mine, a progressive woman with a education that was at least marketed to her as being elite at one point or another. As Dennis Prager puts it very aptly, you have to have an elite education to believe things that are that stupid. I, And when I say that, I have to say it in all honesty, this was an interesting week this past week, in that I had a couple things happen that were not on my bingo card this past week. Well, speaking of, of people whom I have accused of being people with who, who needed elite educations to get as as dim as they sometimes come across, I I say with all due contriteness, I owe Ryan Winkler some props. 
You know Ryan Winkler. He was the former state representative from Golden Valley two different times. He was the House Minority Leader up until this last year. I believe he's left the House. He's gone into the the medical marijuana business using his connections to make sure that his company, I'm fairly sure, got the the sweetheartiest deal possible. And he's a person about who, by the way, during his first run when he was thinking about running for Secretary of State, he derailed his political career briefly by describing Clarence Thomas, fellow Harvard graduate, as an Uncle Tom. And then claiming he didn't know any better, that he didn't know Uncle Tom was an incredibly toxic insult to throw at a black man, much less the most one of the most accomplished jurists of his generation. And so picture my shock when I read this on Twitter. I, I'll just read it. Blaming the existence of Israel as a Jewish state for the Hamas terrorist attacks is anti-Semitism, and anti-Semitism has no place in our schools. And I had to stop and look at the account to make sure that it wasn't hijacked, that it wasn't some parody account uh, hijacking Ryan Winkler's identity. And by jinky, it was not, (laughs) which just shows that uh, an infinite number of monkeys, if they type away long enough, will create the works of Shakespeare. Or perhaps a little less far out, uh, the, the, that uh, a blind scroll will occasionally find a nut or a stop clock is right twice a day. Actually, Ryan Winkler's been right a couple times this year, which, sh- by the way, actually illustrates Berg's 21st law rather rather perfectly. Today's far left is tomorrow's center, and today's all outside the Overton window to the left is tomorrow's center-left mainstream. Ryan Winkler coming across is just a tad on the conservative side. And so it's Ryan Winkler to whom I owe a contrite apology and a, a, a hearty kudo for having defied my expectations. By the way, it was a big week for that. And I'll come back to Ryan Winkler in a moment because what he was talking about is perhaps one of the most toxic utterances I've seen from a Minnesota leftist organization ever. And this is the sort of thing that, that needs to get people to the metaphorical and figurative barricades. We'll come back to that. The other person I never, ever, ever thought I would say anything good about, Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman, who has had a couple of glorious moments this past week and a half uh, in dealing with Hamas protesters. Earlier uh, last week, he went out, uh, walked along the front of the Capitol in front of a Hamas protest, waving a, a small Israeli flag, drawing the ire of a lot of the pro-genocide crowd, and to which he responded, hey, I just had a stroke. I'm not actually uh, able to comprehend your argument. Completely trolling. And it was, honestly, of all the things I've said about John Fetterman, I stand with all of them, but... This was flippin' brilliant, and and I salute you, John Fetterman, wherever you are. Assuming you're tuned in, listening. He also went. He was also president uh, present at the pro-Israel rally that happened on Tuesday this past week, along with Hugh Hewitt and uh, a, an array, a, a bipartisan assortment of congressional leaders, media figures, and the like, including a number of friends of the show: Hugh Hewitt, Bethany Mandel, uh, Josh Sharp, a whole bunch of uh, friends of this broadcast were there. Back to Ryan Winkler, though. I mean, this was a little bit astounding. And, and again, Berg's 21st law is, is obtaining here. The, the left is moving to the left of Ryan Winkler, who's actually 
gone after Mary Moriarty in his own little way. Now, he's not in government now. He doesn't owe anything to the uh, to, to institutional big left. But he was writing about something that I'm going to talk about in the next segment here. I need to take uh, some uninterrupted time to read the whole thing because it is such awful, obnoxious uh, piece of stench that it needs its own segment, maybe two, to get through. Because this sums up everything that is wrong about Minnesota's institutional big left. This is this is a horrific document, something that, that I, in my heart of hearts, I want to think they will have a burst of conscience and take down at some point in the future here. And yet, and yet, the institutional left in Minnesota exists in an echo chamber where shame is non-existent and pointless because they possess perhaps the greatest gift a progressive can have, urban progressive privilege, the ability to go through one's entire life without ever having to worry about what an opposition thinks because in their world there is none. Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 12A, The Patriot. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. I'm so good. I'm so good. I'm so good. AM twelve eighty, the Patriot, the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Hey, we're doing it again this Christmas. In fact, you could say, "Oops, we." Did it again. No, we're doing it again. What'd you like to have? What are you talking about, Mitch? Well, I'll tell you. How'd you like to have your mortgage or rent payments made for you throughout the entire coming year? They will be up to eighteen grand. That's fifteen hundred a month. If you are our grand prize winner in the Christmas mortgage miracle sweepstakes, you can enter now at where? The usual am12athepatriot.com, the font of all terrestrial blessings in this world. See the terms on the website. There are terms. It's a great deal. Of course, there's going to be terms, but they're terms that we can all match up with. So uh, it's the mortgage miracle for Christmas. This could be yours. Do it because love stinks. Well, no. Hold on. All right. Wrong concept. Her. Anyway, getting your, your, your mortgage paid does not stink. 651-289-4488. I say that automatically as if I'm autopilot, although we are, in fact, not taking calls. This is a pre-recorded broadcast. But you can call because, who knows, the producer might uh, want some company in the studio here or just keep the number in mind for next week. I will be back in the studio next week. Uh, Jack Tomzak, of course, in the studio at uh, 3 o'clock. Brad Carlson in tomorrow. So uh, we're uh, we're all uh, online getting ready to go here. So uh, I'll explain the whole pre-recorded thing a little later on here. So uh, we just had the, I guess, I guess you could say I may have just shocked the world. And then I just stated open admiration for something that Ryan Winkler said. Uh, and in fact, not just the fact that I agreed with him, but I have to allow the fact that, that it takes a certain amount of moral courage for him to say it. Because while he is not in office and presumably not running for office at this point, he is an open, active member of a political party that is essentially a fully owned subsidiary of the Minnesota Federation of Teachers, of the public employees unions at large. And any political influence and future that Ryan Winkler has is at the sufferance of the public employees unions. I mean, it is they 
and the nonprofit industrial complex we talked about last week on this show that effectively tell the DFL how high to jump. And they say, yeah, okay, yes, sir. At any rate, so Ryan Winkler saying this and running afoul of MFT Local 59, which, by the way, is, is one of the big uh, Minnesota Federation of Teachers local chapters here in the Twin Cities, uh, is, uh, and by the way, this is the Minneapolis uh, Federation of Teachers Local 59. So this is just the Minneapolis School Board, not the entire Minnesota School Board, but uh, remember, the fry, uh, the Kano corollary to Berg's 21st law says that eventually things bubbling out from the hyper-progressive hothouse of Minneapolis politics will eventually become the DFL mainstream statewide, barring some major external stimulus here. Anyway, this is the statement that the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers made, and I quote, MFT mourns the loss of innocent life in Israel and occupied Palestine can't argue with that, can you? We categorically reject violence against all civilians, whether Israeli or Palestinian. Well, you see, okay, there's the false moral equivalence, because it implies that Israel is is directly culpable for the fact that civilians are being killed in Israeli's response in Gaza, when in fact, it's Hamas's fault, 100%. They it was kind of comical. When I, a few weeks ago, I heard a Hamas representative saying this is a military operation. Well, if it's a military operation, then you should follow the rules of war that the world's militaries are supposed to follow on pain of being convicted of war crimes. And one of the things that is flat out a war crime, 10 out of 10, 100 percent, full stop, is using civilians as human shields or building military installations in the middle of populated areas when you expect to, to have a shooting war coming out, coming up. I mean, that's why the United States Air Force puts its its bomber bases and missile silos in the middle of the prairie. Which, if you live in the prairie, isn't necessarily a good thing if, if a nuclear war breaks up. But they don't put them in the middle of New York City to use the city as human shields. Because... In a justified war, which, by the way, a response to a nation that a political entity that has just conducted a, quote, military operation that murdered 1,400 of your soldiers and civilians and took 200 hostages is, in fact, a legitimate military operation. Taking out the military of the polity that carried out that massacre is a legitimate military operation and putting civilians on top of those installations to create international revulsion for the response is a war crime. 10 of 10, 100%. No argument brooked. Babble at me not. And, and saying otherwise is drawing a false, phony moral equivalence. Quote, we therefore call for an immediate ceasefire to allow humanitarian aid into Gaza and to de-escalate the conflict. No! And that that's not a false moral equivalence entirely. What it is, is serving as a propaganda mouthpiece for Hamas. Hamas started this, and now they want the international community, including useful idiots like the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers, to, to force Israel to back off and let them rebuild to go out and murder again. There is no de-escalation of this conflict 
until Hamas is vanquished. This would be like the Allies stopping at the Rhine River and saying, okay, Nazis, no more invading. Bad bad boys and girls for going after Poland and, and the rest of Europe. Don't ever do that again. Let's try and reach a peaceful settlement. It would be like the United States saying, okay, you bombed Pearl Harbor, Japan. We pushed you back to your home islands. Now, don't attack us anymore. Back to the MFT, and I quote, As Americans, we also condemn the role our government plays in supporting the system of Israeli occupation and apartheid. Oh, so uh, out of one side of their mouth, you you have people on the left saying, hey, how does this blame Israel for, how how is this, how, when, when criticized for blaming Israel, you have a lot of leftist bobblehead useful idiots like, hey, where's the accusation of, right there. Condemn the role of our government in supporting the system of Israeli occupation and apartheid, which lies at the root of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict? These are the people who, who attack conservatives for not being nuanced and informed enough. And yet, and yet, in 1948, 75 years ago, for all of the left's yapping about one, and I, I say yapping and uh, oinking, frankly, oinking and grunting, about wanting a two-state solution. This is what they had in 1948 when the British said, okay, we know we promised both the Arabs and the Jews a homeland, so we're going to draw lines through here and and, and set this up as two separate homelands, separate but equal. How how could that go wrong? At any rate, we're going to set this up, and you guys go on and live in peace because we're out of here. We're decolonizing. And the Arabs said, well, no, actually, we're going to kill all the Jews. Thank you very much. And they launched a war. Four nations, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, launched attacks on Israel, backing the, the quote, Palestinians, end quote, outnumbering the Israelis by dozens to one. And somehow, one of the most improbable victories in all of the history of warfare, the Israelis survived and said, well, this is what going for a two-state solution gets us. We're going to take all the land. And in 1968, they took all the Sinai, too, because they realized the Egyptians were going to keep coming after them until they were, what's the term? Oh, yeah, eradicated from the river to the sea. And and if Hamas is in charge of one of the states in a two-state solution, you're just going to get more October 7th over and over and over again. So not to say Israel is blameless. But if you have grievances against people, attacking them, murdering them, burning them alive, shooting them in their beds and expecting to get away with it is probably, in a just world, a tactical error. Quote, finally, we call on the Minnesota State Legislature to repeal the anti-BDS, that's boycott, divest and sanctions uh, legislation, as it stifles free speech and uh, discriminates against Palestinian refugees their families, and their supporters. The BDS movement is a peaceful and powerful way to affect lasting positive change in the region. Well, they're half right. Uh, it's uh, Actually, they're 100% wrong on two different counts. It's nothing peaceful about it. It essentially makes Israel weaker in a part of the world where being absolutely strong is the only protection. And it will never create a lasting peace. The only peace it will create 
is the peace of the graveyard. Because nothing in the world is more peaceful than a graveyard because everyone in it is dead. And that is what BDS seeks. The The whole notion of boycotting, divesting, and sanctioning Israel for existing serves only to make Israel weaker, to make it harder for them to see to their own survival, and will not lead to peace. We'll just make war against the Israelis easier, more sustainable. It will reward aggression against the Jewish state and nothing more. Now, this is the Minnesota Federation of Teachers talking. These are the people who can't teach kids to read, write, or do math. They can't teach them to be decent citizens in any sense of the term you or I would understand. But they're, And by the way, they have no place in the world of foreign policy. But they're making declarations about this that actively coddle the mass murder of Jews. Actively coddle a organization that seeks, in its own words, to destroy Israel and kill all the Jews in the Holy Land. And beyond that when they can. This is your public employees union in action. More on that when we come back. Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot. AM 1280, The Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network. 651-289-4488. Hey, you're a hunter. You know that the weather has a huge impact on your game. Get the info you need before you hit the field. Foul weather is a hunter's friend, and the deer move with the barometer. So get yourself in position to bag your limit with the hunter's forecast. Thursday mornings, 7 and 11 a.m., afternoons at 3 and 7, courtesy of Stock and Barrel. Gun range to the stars, myself including. I like Egan, but Shan Hassan's great too. So, history does indeed not repeat, but it does rhyme, and we're seeing a rhymes uh, rhymes of history going back to the 1930s, the 1920s, the 19 teens. All the worst parts of history are rhyming, by the way, and that's a shame because there's some history out there that deserves to be rhymed with. Indeed, that we're going to need to repeat. Uh, for our own survival as a culture, and maybe each and every one of us as individuals, if worst comes to worst. Last uh, Sunday was the 34th anniversary of one of the highlights of uh, the history of Western civilization. I mean, up there, along with the signing of the Magna Carta and the Declaration of Independence and probably VE Day and a short list of other highlights, maybe 1940 NFL championship, of course, the literal and figurative collapse of the Berlin Wall and the fall of the Soviet Union was a high point in history, a time I I know that I personally felt divinely privileged to have witnessed and in my own little way participated in. But uh, when Francis Fukuyama, a historian uh, of some note, extrapolated from the fall of the Berlin Wall that history had ended, he declared the fall of the Berlin Wall, Berlin Wall quote, the end of history, I, I figured that one would have to have a really expensive education to believe something quite that stupid. And I was right. John Miltimore, who, by the way, lives in the Twin Cities, is a writer for the FEE, Foundation for Excellence in Education. Anyway, he's one of my favorite center-right writers. 
And he's on my bucket list to get on the show. So, John, if you happen to be tuned in, have your people call my people. He, he had a tweet in which he uh, listed a photo, and I quote, of Germans joyously celebrating the fall of the Berlin Wall at the Potsdamer Platz on November 12, 1989. The photo was taken just 34 years ago, says John Miltimore, but its lesson is already all but forgotten in the U.S., buried beneath the zeitgeist of social justice. By the way, uh, John Miltimore, one of the reasons to stay on Twitter, uh, Miltimore79, that's at Miltimore79, uh, tell him I sent you. Uh, he's a brilliant commentator, but all due respect, he got one thing wrong. He says the lessons of the fall of the Soviet Union and the work that led to the fall of the Soviet Union, and at least it seemed a new lease on life, if not a complete victory for Western civilization, uh, weren't forgotten. No, they were buried by a class in our society that was rooting for the rulers on the other side of the wall, the east side of the wall. Kids, ask your parents. Up until 1989, 1991, the world was divided into the first and second worlds. The first world was Western civilization, freedom, democracy, small L liberal values. The east side of the Berlin Wall was communism, the second world, uh, a, a place that murdered Tens of millions of people exiled entire populations to the gulag. Again, kids ask your parents. And uh, basically, well, no, not basically, entirely exalted the role of the state and really, honestly, the authoritarians who run the state over the value and dignity of the individual, which, by the way, had no value or dignity whatsoever. So there were, and a good chunk of our economic class and our media class was actively rooting for the other side to win. I mean, they rooted, they laughed at and mocked Ronald Reagan when he said one of his goals was to, to see to and preside over the fall of communism. <laughs> Literally, every leftist right now who says uh, the fall of Soviet Union was inevitable, none of them were saying that in 1979 or 1980 before Ronald Reagan took office. There, Dinesh D'Souza had a, in his biography of Reagan had a wonderful list of quotes of American centrist to leftist political thinkers, even conservatives in some cases, who said the Soviet Union is here to stay. Anyone who thinks the Soviet Union is going away ought to have their head examined. This is a, a permanent thing. They are going to be here forever. And within a decade, they were the Soviet Union was no more. And I choke up a little bit sometimes when I think about it. The fall of the Soviet Union was the great the most pivotal event in my lifetime it was the event that in my mind made it made the idea of having children something other than completely irresponsible having grown up as i did in the missile fields of north dakota seriously i've got two kids who wouldn't exist had the soviet union not fallen and that would have been a very very deliberate choice under the circumstances I grew up in. Think that's not important? Oh, yes, it absolutely is. And yet, there is a class of Americans, the academic class, the public employee class, the class of people who fell in line behind the, the European train of thought that we talked about in the first segment, the Fanons, the Sartes, the, the uh the, the the rest of the uh, the rest of the European post-structuralist Foucault—that's the other one I was thinking for of—who who, who figured that 
and who convinced the world's academic classes and the far left on their as they continued their march through the institutions that it was more important to get revenge on the people they saw in power and uh, on behalf of the formerly vanquished and of course their allies who actually wield the actual power than to actually see to things like the rights of man life liberty and the pursuit of happiness uh the right to speak freedom of conscience, privacy, all of the rights that we take for granted. They held in contempt. This class of people who fell into line behind the likes of your Franz Fanon's, thinking that they, when the system was completely toppled, would be in there tight with the ones who had the power, who had the dachas, who had the yachts, who had the privileges, they figured if they did their part, like the woman scolding the Muslims at the uh, St. Louis Park School Board meeting, they figured they would be the ones to come out on top of the whole thing. Uh, they need to ask the former elites of the Soviet Union and, and the Chinese dictatorship who, <laughs> who, who wound up uh, pining for the fjords, nailed to the perches in the 1930s and the 1960s to, to see how well that went. At any rate, the lessons were not forgotten. They were buried by that class of our society that rooted for the communists and still do. And likely, and I'm just going to put this out there, believe in their heart of hearts either that they hadn't just tried real Marxism or that they would be the ones in the dachas rather than in the gulags. So this... Uh, this wasn't the forgetting of the lessons. This was a controlled intellectual demolition. And it's going on around us right now. And I don't mean to sound too much like the guy who runs the blaze, but it is time for all of us, myself included, to wake up and take this whole battle seriously. When we come back, Amy Alcon, uh, author, self-help author, and... uh, Jew living in Los Angeles describing the anti-Semitism she's seeing. Go nowhere. Northern Alliance, AM 1280, The Patriot. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com. <laughs> 